Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 5 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, we put the ear world to rights with Joe Morrison. Let's do the news then on the 4th of November 2020. Uh, I wanted to start off by talking about earth.nullschool.net, a really amazing webpage that if you aren't familiar with, uh, I think you're going to really like it. Often we've talked about on this podcast, especially things like Google Earth and the imagery and the user experience. Earth Null School is something that I've um, shown to people before and they've just been blown away by it. They're like, what? This this exists? I mention it for two reasons. One, I think if you're not familiar with it, it's well worth having a look. But uh, the guy who, who, who designed this, I don't think is a geospatial guy, but he integrates a lot of satellite data into this. Everything about it is just a really Ooh, nice experience. Sorry. This is really cool. So you can change the projection as well. That's yeah, awesome. Sorry. <laughs> a little overexcited, but that is really cool. Cameron Beccario is the guy who um, built it. He is a job search engineering manager at Indeed. That's how detached he potentially is from <laughs> our world. And he's potentially built the most amazing um, front end a, a long time ago. It's been going for probably. 10 years or so. Excellent find. I love it. Cool. I want to, <laughs> hopefully don't make you too embarrassed about this, I want to highlight a GitHub repo that the JNCC have put out in the UK. So this is effectively a repository of Sentinel-1 and Sentinel-2 ARD code. I know that you've been helping a little bit on the back end of this. Yeah, full disclosure, I was paid to to do this so um you know in the sake of transparency and actually it's come on a lot since i um finished i'm really pleased that you, you bring this up and i think it needs further sharing and publicity because one of the things that's hard to find sometimes is code for me this year has been really quite eye-opening i think is the right is the right phrase because you think you know that there's you know x number of resources and you've, and you've got a good feeling for it but the further you dive into it and the deeper you get into all these different repos and it's just amazing it's, it's such a, a treasure some of it is sort of what i would call library code but then there's also jupyter notebooks there's uh, google colab notebooks as well i think there's r on there yes there is yeah so there's r code that yeah and the nice thing about these lists the same of awesome of observation code is that you can contribute um well, I spoke all over your news, didn't I? <laughs> um, okay, so I, I wanted to talk about the Geo for Good Summit that uh, went yes. on. I think it was going on just as we were doing our last podcast. But if you go on Earth Outreach on air.withgoogle.com, you can go into their on-demand library and, and watch all, all the different events. It was a really dense three days of Google Earth Engine stuff, for <laughs> want of a better word. Um, and I really feel that I just scratched the surface in, in what's going on. Yeah, the, the sheer number of presentations to watch on demand is quite impressive. The really nice thing about it is that you can see a slide and you can see a talk or whatever, but they always have a link that then allows you to go and play with that data. I just find that so compelling. I want to talk about stuff that resonates with me. And I, I think that this has done so well. And, and it sort of links to the last thing I really wanted to talk about. And I'll tell you why it links to it in a second. But in November, there's the 30 day map challenge. 
and oh, yeah. it's just exploded this year. So it's <laughs> the second year that's been going on. I love it, seeing all these different things. And today I think is the hexagon day. But why it links is that um, Justin from Google Earth Engine is doing the 30-day uh, challenge with Just Earth Engine. And today he did a hexagon one, but he's sharing all the code. And that, that's, that's why I think it's so... Because like, I've made this and here's the code. And if you like it, then you can run it or you can change it or tweak it. Certainly keep an eye on, um, on that. So this I thought was really, really cool and quite important for people who do a lot of processing of raster grids in QGIS. The tweet's by a guy called Clemens Raffler, who has added into the latest QGIS release, which is 3.16, which came out relatively recently, a series of functions to do cell statistics and analysis. He coded up from scratch using the QGIS C++ API, which itself calls GDAL. And I've had a quick play around, very quick play around in the latest version of QGIS, and it's pretty cool. It can uh, calculate statistics on a pixel by pixel basis, can sum those, look at counts, uh, work out the mean, the median, standard deviation, all the ones you'd expect. What controls your preference to up Update to the next version of QGIS. So I use um, Ubuntu Linux, and yep. as soon as it comes out as an update, it'll tell me it just updates, and I accept it and go yes. I flip between going for the latest, and then because some of my work is dependent upon using the long-term release and flicking back. But you can have you, you can have multiple versions installed. I think this 3.16 is going to become the long-term release. Is that it for the news? That's it for the news. We are very excited to have Joe Morrison with us today. Uh, many of you on Twitter will know who Joe is uh, based on the various posts about how the sector is currently performing, what could be done better, and where our efforts could or should be focused. Joe, before we get into our discussion on how to fix everything in Earth Observation, can you quickly introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. I think what you're doing is great, and you often discuss at some length topics that I don't think get enough attention in our industry. So I'm uh, really excited to be a part of this. So I'll be brief because no one really cares about my background, <laughs> but I work for a company called Azavia, which is actually a phenomenally uh, interesting company in and of itself. It's a B corporation. So we have a mission to apply mapping technology for civic, social, and environmental impact. I work with a bunch of really, really smart software engineers, basically. And we contract out our time to companies to help them solve interesting, big problems with geospatial data sets. So uh, my job is I'm mainly a salesperson, but I also support some of our clients. And I spend most of my time focused on the earth observation industry. Uh, so I think I think I have a very in, incomplete view of the industry, but a fairly impartial one because yeah, I'm not a satellite imagery provider. I, uh, for the most part, I'm not really selling a product. We haven't raised venture capital or a bootstrap firm that's 20 years into our existence. So we kind of, we have to maintain a good relationship with everybody because we're a profitable business and want to remain that way. But at the same time, I think um, we have a really long time horizon for our business. So we're able to try to provide some honest commentary on the state of play and where things are moving and where things could be improved. Yeah, it's funny. This is such a polite and thoughtful industry. 
that people say like, oh, you're so controversial. You're writing these blogs. <laughs> it's like, I'm like very gently ribbing people. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's more a reflection of how polite everyone is in this industry, which makes it a great industry to work in. Yeah, it is a, a great industry, like you say. And it's really interesting that Xavier hasn't taken any VC funding. I'm sure we could have, <laughs> have an entire different discussion about funding of um, the industry and things. I think specifically in this podcast, we are going to look at satellite imagery aggregation and does it work? I think it's really interesting, though, to, to have you on because I think both myself and Alistair, we're very sort of tech focused. And we're often saying we need, we need to get an idea of, of what's going on in the industry. And certainly I feel like I'm guilty of overhyping the Earth observation industry. And, and perhaps Alistair feels the same. I, I, I don't know. But we get to a point where we're constantly overwhelmed by the number of different ideas and data sources coming we've been talking a little bit over email about data aggregators and satellite supplying data and i think you, you touched on a, a point saying how difficult it is for for anybody to go ahead and in, into the earth observation market and this is the commercial earth observation market and actually get some imagery you know ideally you just slap a credit card down and, and buy the data right <laughs> And the aggregator comes in and saying, oh, we're not going to just go to one supplier. We're going to go to several suppliers and we're going to send you a pipeline of data or, or whatever. So with that, what, what, what's your sort of thinkings of these um, data aggregators? It might be helpful to kind of paint a picture for people of what we mean when we say data aggregator. I, I usually say marketplace. That's the term I like to use. Yeah. That's just because that's the language that a lot of these companies use to describe themselves. But it's probably the most common genre of startup in the earth observation space partially because of twitter and the wonderful people like you who refer people to me and uh, i get to have lots of conversations with early stage entrepreneurs but far and away the most common thing people are starting is a marketplace that aggregates all of the satellite imagery behind one api and standardizes it and allows you to sort of do one-stop shopping and it's a very rational business because like you mentioned anybody that works in this industry is when they first come into it, they're kind of shocked by how difficult it is to actually buy satellite imagery. You have to go through these Byzantine sales processes and get permissions from legal teams, sometimes in other countries. And you know, it's often months before you ever actually see any imagery if you're lucky enough to actually be approved to buy it, which sounds silly. You think I have a right to buy it, but you don't. Pretty much everybody that has that experience has the exact same thought, which is, but why isn't this just like any other digital good? Why can't I just log on to some portal and use it? And so, yeah, I think it's a very seductive business to want to start. And I want to be careful here because I really personally admire a lot of the entrepreneurs who are starting businesses in this space. And I think what they're doing is noble and could work. But I also think there are structural reasons why it's very, very, very likely to not work. So you mentioned an API there. The idea of a, an API is both intriguing and slightly nerve wracking for people like me. And I regard myself as reasonably technically savvy. So I think in some respects, the, the current model where you do the negotiation and the download has its issues. But also I think the API also will put a large number of new users off because that's something that seems technically advanced yeah when i say api I'm using that as a shorthand i just mean the interface generally into the data so 
Look at Planet Labs, which I think has the most advanced API of any of the incumbent satellite imagery providers. They have an interface you can log into, you can search for imagery, you immediately see results, you can find exactly what you're looking for right away. Uh, that's all powered by a very, very advanced API. Contrast that with uh, Maxar. So Maxar does have a search tool. It's still branded Digital Globe, probably because they haven't bothered to update it because it's not really that important to their sales process. It's not quite as nice as the Planet Search uh, interface, but it still works. The trouble is that with Maxar, then when you purchase the imagery, they tend to send you like an FTP server with an expiring link, and you have to like you know do your best to download the data while the link is still live. With Planet, you can actually get that data delivered via a web service or via a series of API calls. It's not to say that the API is the primary way that people discover and purchase data as like the, the actual user experience, but just the way the data is being distributed under the hood, being powered by a modern API is just an obvious next step that all of the imagery providers should adopt because it will make the friction of actually moving that data around much lower, but it's not necessarily a reference to people having to be able to write code to get access to imagery. And these are sort of the marketplace suppliers. This is their business case, isn't it? They're saying, we acknowledge that it's hard to buy the data from one supplier, and we don't want to restrict you to just one satellite supplier. One of the reasons for the marketplace is to take the human away, to do this kind of machine-to-machine -machine work. What do you think about that, Joe? Does that work as a, as a marketplace? No. <laughs> there's a there's a few assumptions embedded in your question that are also embedded in the value propositions these companies pitch potential customers and i think it comes out of a reasonable assumption about what the future will look like but an unreasonable description of what the current state of the art is so when you say like machines automatically analyzing satellite imagery that's what we do at Azavia is build custom machine learning models to automate extraction of features for people. And what I think people don't realize is that satellite imagery is not a commodity. As much as you would like it to be apples to apples, it's not. And like, taking apples as an analogy, it's like going to the supermarket. If I said, can you go pick me up some apples? What would you go get me? Is this for a pie? Maybe Granny Smith? You want some like green sour ones? Is this to just eat? Like maybe Fiji? Apples are wildly diverse and so is satellite imagery. And the most advanced systems we have for motoring through huge inhuman amounts of satellite imagery, they're sensor dependent. Yeah. And they really don't stand up well to enter sensor changes. That's, you can get published in pretty legit scientific journals, if you can come up with modeling methods that are robust to variance in sensor calibration and spatial resolution and spectral resolution and temporal resolution, an image is not an image. An image is a very particular signature tied to a very particular sensor. And that's why when I go to Planet to buy Planet Scope imagery and they have high temporal revisit rate, you know, fairly high spatial resolution. The spectral resolution or the calibration might not be as pristine as it is on another system, but it's you know calibrated and they're always working to improve that. Well, I don't need anyone else. I don't need another vendor to fill in gaps. I mean, I'm getting daily imagery over my area of interest. 
the model that I build, it can be much simpler now because it can just make a bunch of assumptions about what the data is going to look like. It's always going to come from PlanetScope. I don't need to go to a third-party vendor to buy one sensor to monitor something. But are you a specialist user, though? Sure. If the typical user is just their idea is a human is going to look at every image, they're not sophisticated enough to build models to automate the analysis of this imagery, which I'd say is most people. That's the second mistake that I think people make is that people are looking for satellite imagery, that there's demand for satellite imagery. I wrote a blog post at Azavia um, called How to Find the Most Recent Satellite Imagery. And it's far and away the most boring blog post I've ever written because there's no way to find recent satellite imagery without you know, negotiating with people, which is a disappointment to most people. But it's also the most popular blog post I've ever written. It, pro it probably gets 30 or 40,000 hits a month of people trying to find recent satellite imagery, which you could take to an investor and say, look how much demand there is for satellite yeah. imagery. But you'd be completely wrong because if I had to guess, 80 or 90% of those people are looking for aerial imagery. And they're looking for aerial imagery because they go on Google Maps and they click the satellite layer and it's aerial imagery over their city. And they're looking for aerial imagery from like last week on Monday because their car should have been at this parking spot. And if they can just prove that their car was at this parking spot on Monday, they would be out of this whole mess. And can you get me that imagery? And no, yeah. I can't go back in time and get you that imagery. And no, there's no sensor, satellite sensor, high enough resolution that exists today. Uh, maybe there's some like national assets that could do that for you. But that type of demand is phantom demand. I don't personally believe there is high commercial demand for satellite imagery in that way. It's just, it's not high enough resolution for the use cases that people have jumped to their mind when they go search for it. And the use cases that I think are really compelling require monitoring. They require large scale extraction of features and, and tracking changes over time. That is where a lot of the value I believe is to be unlocked. Do you think that most of the users in inverted commas are there for people who, who know the first case that you've just described saying, I want a picture? My, where my car was last week, they know that that's not, not actually feasible and they're not actually looking for that. They're looking for something that goes, uh, I'm reluctant to say it, but as a base map into their GIS. Already, they're an active customer, potentially. I don't know the size of that market where they're savvy enough to know GIS fairly well or, or have a GIS type need and they just need a reference data set that is a satellite imagery base map or something like that. But I feel like that's fairly well catered to. I mean, you can buy that from Google Maps or you can buy it from Mapbox or here or there's a, there's a bunch of vendors that just provide you the sort of the best and most recent imagery for your area within a certain range of reasonable expectation. The people that I see searching for satellite imagery specifically, they're, they're already far enough afield from that kind of standard base map use case that they've gone on Google Maps and it hasn't met their need. And so now they're looking for a time series or now they're looking for a sort of spectral analysis. It's mostly prototypical projects. There's no there's no real killer use case for satellite imagery that anyone's figured out. Yeah. And that's part of why I want these marketplaces to be successful because right now doing a prototypical project is so hard. The minimum order quantities at these companies are huge. If you can thread the needle on licensing and you can do all the hard work to standardize the API and you can 
basically aggregate demand such that you can bring the minimum order quantity down to like a square kilometer, which I know some of these firms are working on, then at least you'll be able to enable a bunch of prototypical use cases that might mature into these unexpected verticals that are mature, you know, products that people can build. Um, but it's a very, very long time frame for that to happen because a bunch of experimentation has to happen and then the winners will kind of emerge from that. And that means that the satellite imagery companies have to give them enough leash to do that. Uh, and that, that's where I am pessimistic because I've just seen in the past satellite imagery companies, they're not super excited about the idea of allowing some third party to control their distribution in the first place. It, it's not clear yeah. how that strategically benefits them. And so it only helps if they're driving a lot of demand and a lot of volume. And so if they're not doing that in the first few years, because people are just in drips and drabs trying things out, I don't know what's going to keep them interested. So are we not just kidding ourselves about Earth observation then? Because if there's not this desire to sell the data for prototype studies, and if we end up just going from a plethora of data suppliers to a plethora of marketplace suppliers, and we think that we're in a bit of hype, and we're not sure who, who wants to buy all of this. Are we just kidding ourselves in Earth observation that we're actually a relevant sector? I've never been more optimistic about the industry, especially this year. This year has been a great example of how remote sensing data is irreplaceable. If you can't physically go visit your sites anymore, if you're the World Bank and you've got $10 billion of dams being built right now, and you, you can't because of COVID, you can't go visit them. How, how do you figure out what's happening there? There's only one way to do it. My stance is that there's a ton of opportunity in Earth observation, but it's all solution-based. It's vertical-based. It's going really, really, really deep on one particular problem. The remote sensing has a unique capability, a unique applications for and building all the software and user experience and problem solving and other data sets that need to get combined with it, bringing all of that to bear together. So like I, I did a Twitter thread recently of companies I think do a great job of this. And there's a bunch of amazing examples. One of my favorites is a company called Upstream Tech, which does like hydrology, uh, energy production forecasting based on data about how full streams are upstream of, of these hydrological power dams and saying we, we can more accurately predict the power generation from this dam, and then that has a ton of downstream implications for the power grid and managing that resource. What are you gonna go out and put stream gauges on every stream in the world upstream of a dam? Like I don't know a more efficient way to solve that problem than remote sensing, and there's just a million of those use cases. Some of them, like in, in the United States, there's a company, Eagle View, that collects aerial imagery, they're doing like over $100 million of revenue selling roof reports to roofers. So these can get really specific and still be really big industries. And that's why I, I kind of, I, again, I have a ton of respect for what the entrepreneurs who are building these marketplaces are doing and how difficult the technical problem is and how difficult the, the red tape bureaucracy legal problem is that they're solving. And if they're successful, it will enable a bunch of innovation to happen on top of their platforms, which is super exciting. But to me, the more urgent problem is getting people with remote sensing expertise to niche down and focus on really important problems that remote sensing has a unique capability for. And that just takes years to build up this domain expertise in addition to the remote sensing expertise 
be able to build a product that people actually want. But if you do it, it's super defensible. Like everybody thinks it's so easy to work with satellite imagery. It's just like anything else. I'll just waltz right in and figure it out. This is like some backwater industry. But you all know that this attracts like some of the smartest PhDs in the world. And the way that satellite imagery is applicable to important issues like humanitarian aid, to climate change, it attracts really, really intelligent people. And it's a really, really difficult problem. So it's not to say that we're kidding ourselves. I don't, I don't think that at all. But I do think that if your expectation is that the large satellite imagery providers like Airbus and Maxar and Planet, if, if you think they can afford to just commoditize their offering and give it up for free or close to free and expect high volume to cover it, then you are kidding yourself because they're going to make their money from big bespoke consulting contracts with huge governments where they provide imagery and they provide analytics on top of that. We have been sort of promised this long promised huge decrease in price for imagery because there's more capacity, more availability, more diversity in the market. I've always had this thing where I say, why can't I just buy one pixel? And, and everyone laughs because why would you want to do that? But when you're constrained by 25 square kilometer minimum order, this is where the experts in inverted commas start pulling their hair out. So there's that issue. I think it was Drew Bollinger from Development Seed sent out this tweet ages and ages ago, but he basically said, the rush isn't to know the nth detail, it's to understand what the market is you're serving. I do think that we in the industry need to sort of listen more to this side and help, I don't know, the marketplace beat these needs. Who is going to be the person who uses this stuff? We're not doubting that it's going to do an amazing thing. People starting new businesses, I think they should ask themselves, am I going to be called an idiot for doing this or look stupid for doing this? And the, the trouble with satellite imagery marketplaces is it just makes so much sense that everybody you explain it to is like, that makes a lot of sense. That is not what you want to ha be told when you're first starting a business. If you want it to be big, you want to be told that is a stupid idea and there's no market for that. And then you want to go <laughs> prove everybody wrong. Um, and uh, the way to do that, in my opinion, is to say, I think satellite imagery could allow us to do this thing way more effectively or in a totally different way or completely skip this step of a crucial process. The industry you're approaching should have a gut reaction that's impossible. And if they don't have that reaction, then maybe you're not thinking, maybe you haven't gone deep enough to really understand the problem. It should be upsetting to someone. And I love that you bring up development seed too. That's our direct competitor. If Azabia has one direct competitor, so of course you're bringing them up in the podcast, <laughs> but I, I love development seed. Drew Bollinger, who you mentioned, is a brilliant guy. And Ian Schuler, who is the CEO, is a wonderful person. I love competing with them because when we lose, I know they're going to do a good job. But the reason I know they're going to do, do a good job is because they will build the solution the person needs, just like we do, whether or not satellite imagery needs to be applied to it. They'll be the first person to say, there's an easier way to do this. We don't have to go down this route. And I think that kind of humility, being able to invalidate use cases as much as you're able to validate them, is, is an important skill uh, that the industry as a whole has trouble with because you can kind of always find one prototypical customer who will pay you to do it once. But ultimately, if you want to build a business, you need something repeatable and scalable. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to not even really tell people that you're working with satellite imagery. You just go to the hydropower dam and say, we can be 30% more effective at predicting your power than your current system. 
and it might sound like magic to you. We can explain it in detail if you'd like, but why don't we just run a pilot where we prove it to you? And then at the end of that, you can decide whether or not you want to buy that ability. Like that type of sales process to me is the dream. Okay. I'm going to jump in there and say, thank you so much for your time for the podcast. It's been brilliant listening to you. Um, where can people find you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is mouth of Morrison. There's a bunch of Joe Morrison's. Uh, so I'd settled for a pretty terrible one, but yeah, find me there and cool. send me a message, but thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast. It's been an honor to be a guest. Thank you, Joe. We encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom, where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. Bye. Too much lockdown, isn't it? <laughs>